This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Robbie. Hey, Ernie. How are you doing? Um, well, I'm still feeling a little bit um, drained, I guess, by the, uh, the COVID bug or whatever. Two of our family used a home test and tested positive. Ah. So, so you have like you're that. down with something you're not sure what. Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, I'm, it seems very likely that it's uh, one of the COVIDs. I don't know what variant or whatever. Oh, okay. But... I think I think I think when I talked to you last, your other family member has had gotten sick, but you had not yet, or maybe I misheard. Yeah, anyway, I yeah, I was the last, uh, and it's it's mostly been just uh, heavy drowsiness, um, but mm. I three days mostly just drifting in and out of sleep, um, ah. and then realized I wasn't doing other things I know to do to which helped uh, accelerate getting better. So I mm -hmm. uh, pulled myself out of bed and did some of that and, uh, the, and the congestion is clearing up. And, uh, so, All yeah. right. So, so thanks for calling. Let yeah. me know if your voice starts giving out or you need to take a break. Right. No, I'm, I, think, uh, I think I'll be fine, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm actually feeling better now. My leg has been sore. For the last uh, week or two, and so uh, just now, I mean, maybe the Tylenol I took a couple hours ago, but I'm walking normally for the first time in a while, so give the oh, dog a good workout. Did you have hmm? an injury? Have I, an I think injury? I just over. I think I. Uh, I think the technical word is probably overtraining. I oh. pushed too hard. It was interesting. Uh, about a week into it, I felt like. God was saying, you know, the, so what happened was, is I, I've been working out steadily since COVID, since I have, I don't have my two and a half hour commute anymore. And, uh, but I've been kind of uh, slacking off a bit. So I upped it up the intensity. And then uh, so I was really sore. And then I tried doing some different stretches to compensate for that and ended up making things worse. So uh, I think I pulled like two different muscles in my leg, the thigh and the, and then that created like a chain of soreness. Uh, right. So I, thankfully, I did not injure any joints or even any tendons, I think. But it was uh, kind of a three-way thing. So if I like put like a patch on one or two of the places, the third one would still be hurting. And right. uh, I kind of felt like it was the Lord telling me, hello, he's very friendly. <laughs> Bro, I cannot pass a child without wanting to say hi. Yeah, uh, he will actually run across the street to go greet somebody. <laughs> right. We let him. Um, and uh, but that reminded me of the seven years ago when I was trying, you know, doing all this work around discipleship and and things like that. Um, I kind of felt like uh, I had gone too fast without sort of stretching and uh, uh, warming up, and so I ended up tearing you know a bunch of relationships professionally, personally, spiritually. And so uh, I was praying with somebody on Sunday, and he was saying, yeah, I think this is God saying, just be silent until God says it's time to speak. So I'm trying to take this as a uh, exhortation to just because something is good and worth doing doesn't mean that you ne I need to do it right now or right away that I should try to organically work up to it and bring people along. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's been interesting. I was hoping for some like instantaneous miraculous healing on Sunday after getting prayer, but 
that didn't happen, right. but it is right. definitely getting better, so that's encouraging. Okay, good. Yeah, it seems to uh, uh, resonate with uh, just the last couple of days. I've uh, had this recognition in myself that uh, I'm, I've still been grasping for some way that I can fix our family relationships in my way and mm. my time and mm. that, uh, I can rest and trust the Holy Spirit to do a much better job in his time and his way. So uh, I'm, I've gone from being um, stretching myself in not avoiding conflict to uh, just being at rest in uh, and trusting, you know, what God has joined together. Uh, he mm -hmm. doesn't want to burn asunder. Uh, that's what the enemy wants. And uh, right. if I'm trying to fix things, I can push things in the wrong direction, affect a lot of my... Um, and this book you sent, again, is being very helpful, Journey into the Divided Heart, mm -hmm. seeing the various defense mechanisms. It was, I was just reading about intellectualizing and being... Ah, very apropos. Yeah, being very comfortable using uh, my thoughts as a way to, you know, distance myself from my emotions and thinking right. I, I drifted off and so I didn't finish the chapter yet, but I am... Uh, uh, most of what I've read has made sense, but I haven't in, in other chapters, but I haven't really sensed what uh, what I what I would do differently or with this I can be more conscious uh, and intentional about recognizing what I'm feeling and uh, yeah putting that before the Lord and asking him to help me with that yeah so, so good this is very apropos so uh -huh. uh, I sent you a few texts and then you sent me a a uh, relatively lengthy, well-researched response. Yeah. And I'm very curious, what is the question that you thought I asked? Um, I think it, I think my, my perception was whether I, let's see, I remember that you, I'm not sure you asked a question. You said, if this is true, it changes a lot for you. It's a perspective you hadn't run across before. Um, I don't. Worth one of us reading the quote just for the podcast listeners. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. If you want to actually do it first, I'm dealing with some doggy doo doo at the moment. Oh yeah, sure. Someone just claimed that. Oh. Um, well, okay. So we, it starts off with a verse, uh, Romans eight thirteen to fourteen. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of, the sons of God. Uh, so Romans 8, 13 to 14 in the NASB. Uh, someone just, and you added with that, someone just claimed that, A, this is the only verse that explicitly talks about being led by the Spirit, and B, it's focused primarily on holiness rather than guidance. 
And you have it. This would be a significant shift from how I thought about being clear of it. I'm curious whether it matches your understanding or experience. So uh, I think I responded on that question. Uh, she didn't have a question mark, but this is a question. So it was a query, maybe not a question. All right. Uh, expression of right. expression of curiosity, but yes, okay. Yeah. And then you added, what if being led by the Spirit is a good practice, but bad theology, because it takes away our focus, our focus away from obeying Christ's commands. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I responded uh, that I perceived as having a strong aversion to that terminology, obeying Christ's commands, and asked if that's changed. Uh, the shift in my thinking is where God is more interested in our obedience to what he's saying to us now, from his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, then he is in us measuring and commending ourselves based on our interpretation of what Christ commanded and how we're to apply that. Um, so um, there, there was a lot more. Probably very <laughs> <laughs> oh, This was Quinny, is not. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Frolic has his evening tour of the college students that he likes to make. Sorry. Is, uh, do many of these people see him repeatedly, or do you have a different group? Yes. Someone once okay. said, oh, this is their favorite part of the day when Frolic comes by for his daily visit or weekly visit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great painting. You shouldn't probably interrupt those, Frolic. I know, I know. You yeah. like wines and whimpers when he doesn't get to say hi to someone. But only wines yeah. and whimpers when he doesn't get food. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, so yeah, so so what did you think I was curious about, and what did you think I was suggesting? Um, see. Well, without trying to review that, um, I... Let's see. Oh, well, the research that I did wasn't just for your benefit. It's something that I've been wanting. Okay, so, to do. so, so let's, let's wait, okay, let's go the other direction. Like, what what uh, thoughts, questions, reactions did that trigger in you? Yeah. That inspired you to go on that research project. Right. Well, the first is that uh, people re- reach a lot of false conclusions based on an English word search and a concordance. Um, the, where there are so many euphemisms and different okay, ways. So, that, so, so, so slow down, slow down. You yeah, jumped sure. several steps, and I would like to break those down. Yeah, okay, good. So why did you make the statement that people, the sort of abstract general statement, that people reach false conclusions based on the English word search? What was the train of thought that led you to that? Yeah, well, that struck me. My, my first impression of this uh, um, opinion or perspective that you were quoting, uh, points one and two or A and B, uh, was that this appeared to me to be um, uh, a faulty conclusion based on an English word search. Sorry, what did you think? What, what, which conclusion did you think was being drawn? That this is the only verse in Scripture that uh, specifically relates to the Holy Spirit leading. Is that what I said? No, that's what you quoted, right? Well, what did I quote? Read the quote back to me. What did I say in that quote? Yeah. 
Uh, someone just claimed that, A, this is the only verse that explicitly talks about being led by the Spirit. Right. So explicitly talks about being led by the Spirit. So is no, that, no. based on your research, is that a true or false statement? Uh, it's, it's very false. Really? Because I think there's lots of passages that demonstrate implicitly the Spirit's leading and guidance. But as phrased, uh, I think that statement was not contradicted by anything that you wrote. All right. I, uh, uh... Right. And so it's interesting is that, so it was interesting that, um, so that's an interesting, so the, what I'm hearing yeah, is yeah. that you heard a ver statement, it seemed false to you. Uh -huh. And therefore, you wanted to accrue information to disprove it. Uh, well, I certainly wanted to check it out for myself. And, okay. Uh, well, but so the question is, okay, so why? So, the, so the, you, you wanted, okay, you wanted it, it seemed false to you, and you wanted to, um, and, and you felt a desire. So we're trying to talk about emotions here, right? Okay. Yep. So it seems like you felt it struck you as it seems like it struck you as either wrong or implausible or poorly supported. Yeah. So that's one emotion. That's an emotion. Uh huh. Or a perception, at least. Perception. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and that, um, and therefore you had a desire to put it to the test. Uh huh. And the way that you did that was by doing a relatively exhaustive search, leveraging your extended uh, capacities and ability to. Okay. Well, and one of your one of the beliefs that came out of it was that ah, there you have a prior belief that you brought into the thing that well, people who don't know Hebrew or Greek will easily draw false conclusions based on English. And therefore, if I can take advantage of my greater capacity in these things, I can outdo that false impression, or I can overcome that error. Yeah, um, you may remember. Right. Yeah, I think I mentioned in the document that I sent uh, you a comment not too long ago that um, sending somebody simply to sending some people to read scripture can be unhelpful because Satan likes to twist scripture and we can well, come to I false. Totally, I totally agree that that's right. true. Um, yeah. But, but again, yeah, we're trying to work through, I'm just trying to understand your emotions here. Like, yeah. I'm not denying that that is a, a fact. The relevance of it is the interesting point or the salience. Yeah. Um, okay. um, so anyway, that's an interesting chain of emotions. One I'm frankly quite familiar with myself. I've gone through that similar cycle. Um, what's interesting, interesting what, what I was going to say was interesting is that I, I didn't have any awareness of any emotion and I, even as you describe them, I don't connect with them at the emotional level and I can't remember the chain of emotions yeah. that you just described. But. As we, right. But the question is, is like, you know, the, you know, just to make sure we're clear on the, uh, What's, what's, what's interesting to me is, A, that, like, I didn't ask whether the statement was true. I, uh, I wasn't curious about that, that okay. per se. 
it was an interesting, noteworthy fact that this person claimed that. I was, uh, the thing I was curious about is how that aligns with your understanding right. and also your experience. Um, but yeah. you went straight to like, okay, I have to ask it. To, to me, what's interesting to me, someone told me this once, is if you ask a engineer a question, he will do his best to give you a correct answer. If you ask a salesperson a question, he will say, who wants to know? Uh-huh. And why? It's a very different mental framework. Mm, okay. Uh, because sometimes, you know, and the and that's and the interesting thing is that, well, you know, if uh to me and this is really to me a hallmark of intellectualization, right? Is we right. try to reduce our, our we perceive uh social interactions, I mean I'm probably doing this to some extent now. Uh, as a information gathering or information asserting process, and then we engage with it in a way that um, engages those parts of our psyche and dampens the other parts. Yeah. So that, this is the, you know, for example, another way you could say, huh, that seems an unusually strong statement. Uh-huh. You know, right? Um, and or, or like it doesn't match my understanding of scripture. Um, right. And so the uh, the I think data dump is a fair term to describe the document you sent me with the several hundred Bible verses and citations and statistical yeah. analyses thereof. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was amusing. Um, uh-huh. For the record, I did my own quick like five minute search and uh-huh. it came to basically the same conclusion you had which is that well yeah certainly there's lots of other places where we see the spirit leading but uh-huh. there are very few places where we talk explicitly about the spirit and what was interesting yeah. to me is the one uh-huh. thing that came to my mind immediately was not one that you seem to have found in, in my cursory glance at your document uh-huh. which is where Jesus talks about Sending the Holy Spirit. As the counselor, because I, that's a different Greek word, the paraclete. That's buried between okay. two descriptions. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but so I guess the question is, is that, well, okay. Um, but I think you and I would both agree that that is referring to the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was just going by the Greek words to be... Because right, okay, but but fair enough. In fact, this is a beautiful illustration of my point. Yeah, yeah. Right, is that so? The left brain loves to focus on words, uh-huh. and uh, its knowledge of words and command of words makes the left brain feel really good. And uh-huh. conversely, when people use words in an emotional or sloppy or imprecise way, it generates deep indignation. Right. I, 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 this is a thing that my intellectualization uh, defense mechanism, uh, you know, calls down fire and lightning when it feels people are doing it. Uh, we talked yeah. about before the uh, YouTuber, right? Emoting under the guise of being rational. Like this uh-huh. infuriates me. And now at least I have a name for it. So I'm trying to learn to work through it. So I, I can see where somebody would feel infuriated. I don't, think there's uh any of that that i can t- 
hotel I, in the back. I mean, but, question said, is, but, but based on your actions, uh-huh. like you didn't really seem interested in my emotional engagement around this. You purely like you dived really deep into the Greek. I mean, yeah. the, the, and like, let's, let's deal with my stronger statement. Okay. Which, you know, I think is actually, you know, you, you see me two statements. One is that I have in the past expressed an aversion, especially in the context of DBS, Discovery Bible right. Study, to a focus around obedience. Yeah. Right? And so you were a little yeah. surprised with that I seem to be now saying, well, obeying Christ's commands may be more important than listening to the Spirit. Right. 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 So that's an interesting observation. Uh-huh. And that seems like, you know, that would be something interesting to engage with you around. And like, well, yeah. was your perception correct? Was, you know, your perception incorrect? You know, have I yeah. flip-flopped? Am I being inconsistent? I don't know. Those are interesting questions yeah. to me. The second question is that what conclusion? So if those two statements are true, right? So I would argue that with a, if you want to say a generous reading or a narrow reading of those terms yeah. you can make a claim that those two statements are true did you run across the verse about the holy spirit leading in galatians i can't remember uh, the score. Why, don't you, why don't you read that one so i can hear uh, uh I, I may not have paid much attention to it when I came to the article. Uh, unfortunately i don't have direct access uh, I'm, my, I'm not with my computer um but there is a place there where Paul also refers to the Holy Spirit leading um, anyway so uh, I don't I don't think it's technically correct but uh, it's um, I would say that most of the verses as you say demonstrate the Holy Spirit leading rather than describing you're talking about it right and right so and the and so the, so the the emotional resonance that I felt when I saw this uh-huh. Right, so I'm not saying I'm I'm less guilty of templating, but I'm at least trying to surface to my emotional reactions to this. Is yeah. that I I was in this cultural norm where being led by the Holy Spirit is uh-huh. primarily about making decisions. Yeah, and okay. that's the context and the framework where I always hear about being spirit led. Like I may have shared the story about when I was at MIT during the. Uh, we had a little mini counselor prayer type revival and the charismatic wing said, well, you know, the important thing is we've got to listen to the spirit. We want to be listening to the spirit all the time, telling us what to eat, what to wear, right? That's what it means to be spirit led. Okay. Right. And I am surrounded, you know, mostly by charismatics who really believe in hearing the spirit and uh-huh. listening to the spirit, being led by the spirit. And you've of course been on this journey. And I said like, and like, I really, and I said it, and I think it's true. I do believe being led by the spirit, listening to the spirit is a good practice. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting to me is that, and why this verse struck me is that it highlighted a distinction that I felt was significant and undervalued. Yeah. And it ties back into like, why did Jesus send us the Holy Spirit? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit, you know, has a number of roles. But like, I think it's safe to say what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit should probably take priority about everything else. 
Right. right? And what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, uh, which is phrases I've been wrestling with and I have theories on, but I don't know if I say I deeply understand, is he came to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And um, the, and it's like, huh, you know, so Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in terms of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In this phrase here where it talks about you know, the importance of being spirit-led, you know, maybe not the only one, but certainly one of the most explicit and direct versions, it's very much in the context of holiness. And for the record, this was, I read this in a book by a Reformed mm-hmm. theologian who's very learned and very interesting. Um, so I, I think it's safe to say that he probably knows the Hebrew and the Greek and the New Testament way better than a, yeah. either of us do. Um, and I also think it's fair to say that given his reformed credentials, he may have intended this as a subtle dig against the charismatics. Um, you know, so... Are you saying this is where you came across these two points? Yeah, yeah this, 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 this comment. Uh, it okay, was really so just a throwaway line in a footnote that uh, yeah. he was talking about something. It's interesting that, you know, this phrase about being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, uh-huh. this is the only place where it uses that phrase, and it's in the context of holiness, not guidance. That was his yeah, basic okay. point, you know? And so, um, he's certainly not going to say that's the only thing the Holy Spirit does. I mean, there's a whole chapter about how the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of salvation and, and things like that. But it made I mean, me think, like, huh, but this is actually yeah. precisely the, the thing that is interesting to me is that um, this is my concern with, um, so it is, a well, it is a well-known and somewhat of a cliche thing for evangelicals to say, well, charismatics focus on the Holy Spirit and they downplay the word of God, uh-huh. right? Uh, and it's not really fair uh, because the charismatic police, but you know, the, um, what's interesting, of course, is that the, the evangelicals tend to focus on theology to the point of ignoring the word of God. Uh, and, but I realized the one thing that I enjoyed about reading this book, because uh, uh, actually, well, I, I had many reactions to it because it's a very much a, you know, inside baseball about debates within reform theology. But uh-huh. it's talking about some important issues like the issues between law, legalism, and antinomianism. That was a thing I was working on a few a months or so ago, and a friend of mine sent me this book when I told him about this. Uh-huh. And, it, and he makes, you know, it makes some beautiful, but it has some beautiful insight. Uh-huh. But then it gets sort of bogged down in all the inside baseball of this is what Calvin said, and this is what the Masters Convention said. And he has to go through all these lengths to show that these are consistent with what these, you know, revered human figures said. Right. And the thing that struck me, um, uh, actually, this is, this is, the thing about Reformed theology, and it, I was only just in the last day or two, I kind of put it together, is that, like, they talk a lot about salvation, but they uh-huh. say almost nothing about discipleship. Mm. Uh-huh. And it's interesting, like one of the big pieces of the Calvinist Reformed theology, uh, which I thought was a really, as I say, like a lot of things are really good insights. They're just not really great foundations. Like the insight that God shows us is a really powerful insight, uh, you know, and that, you know, that God loves us and it's about him and not us. Like that's a huge 
incredibly powerful insight. Uh, another yeah. big one is that, like, in a culture where uh, access to God was sort of metered out, and you had to mm. jump through these hoops to gain access to God and to feel like you're secure in your relationship with Him, you know, taking the radical step, like, no, any, it's normal to believe that you are saved. And it's healthy yeah. to think that God loves you already. Like those are beautiful yeah. truths. Yeah. Um, but and they, like and Calvin, you know, to his credit, ha, you know, had to build sort of an entire philosophical foundation to stand against the you know several hundred years of Catholic theology that was justifying the status quo. So like yeah. I can see how that was like a really noble and courageous and even necessary thing. The uh-huh. thing that. Um, you know, that I realized that, that, that I realized that, that struck me as off is that evangelical theology and charismatic spiritualism is both extremely compatible with the self. And this is the thing that this verse made me think of that really generated a strong emotional reaction with me. It's like, ah, this is the thing that like bugs me that I think bugs God, which I want to think through, which is that in order to be a disciple, uh-huh. you know, I have to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. And uh-huh. The interesting question is, and so this to me is where this is, and this to me is precisely the distinction between holiness and guidance. Like obviously, and I think what's interesting is that a lot of the um, um, so actually let's say, let's be the maybe a more generous but certainly in one sense, all ways of seeking guidance to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit rather than trusting in reason or consulting with witches is an act of humbling yourself before God, right? So there is a kind of self-denial that is implicit in seeking to be led by the Spirit. So I want to, you know, make that point and acknowledge that is true. With, with maybe uh, Balaam as another example of how it can go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Balaam's weird, right? Because, like, he, like, does things that God tells him to do yeah. <laughs> and still gets into trouble for it. Um, it, it it's, um, yeah, I, I have lots of interesting questions about Balaam. And, uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I have a hard time drawing easy lessons from Balaam's example. That's what no, I'm just trying to put it. I find it very sobering in how yeah. our, uh, we we can believe that we're doing what God wants and uh, you know, just and actually it. following the letter of the law of what Jesus told us to do, right? Of yeah. what the Spirit tells us to do, and yet be headed towards destruction. So my response, uh, you know, at the end in the text where I said, you know, I'm I'm concerned about the focus on commands of Christ as a complete thing that we can use to measure ourselves and to take pride in other possibilities. Um, but that maybe is a different thread than you want to go down. Well, I think, but here's the point, right? So there's, there's like, 
uh, the other thing that uh, you know I realize is kind of maddening, and what's what's really funny is that the author, he's a very thoughtful modern scholar. He realizes yeah. that like not everyone acts out in accordance with the logical conclusions of different beliefs. He realizes yeah. that psychology plays much more than theology. So he, he like understands these things uh, and tries right. to make allowance for them, but kind of at the edges. Uh-huh. And like okay. you know, the whole enterprise is based on a series of like assumptions that I think are limiting. Uh, yeah. Like it's really good. It's like Euclidean it in geometry. It's like okay, yes, you can solve certain problems really well, but some of your assumptions are completely arbitrary and they miss like you know, Euclidean in geometry is great. Except for the fact uh-huh. it doesn't describe the surface of the earth. Right. Like yeah. the world we live in literally is not Euclidean. Okay. And yeah. you know, you know, and it took, you know, and people knew that the world was round, but it just it, it, they couldn't wrap their minds or their dogmatism around the fact that these axioms that they've had for centuries were just flawed uh, huh. or incomplete or arbitrary. Right. Anyway, yeah. so the and so like you know, and you know the Calvinist point is like, hey. You know, the reason that they stress the predestination of God is they don't want people to take pride in human effort. Uh, you know, and like, okay, that's a noble goal. Yeah. But in practice, what that ends up in is that people end up taking pride in human knowledge. Right. And they don't intend that. And I'm sure most of them would be horrified when you point that out. But in practice, like all the Reformed, uh, the people who are evangelizing Reformed theology fall very much into that camp. Yeah. <laughs> And as someone who takes pride in my own intellectual learning, I tend to get very offended by that. I'm still working through it. Um, but the, so, yeah, so there's, uh, words fall short. But there's something here that I am, um, I feel is significant. And I feel it's significant if you and I can, can articulate this in a way that we can understand each other. When you say and here, that is what I wanted to. So this, this issue, this, this shift I am trying to make, or the oh, nature sure. of the shift, the motivation for the shift, from purely seeing spirit-led as a matter of guidance, okay. to seeing being spirit-led as principally a matter of holiness, and secondarily huh. a matter of guidance. And for me, the distinction is, and again, the words are sloppy. Let me try to illustrate what I mean by those two things. One Uh is where I myself am sitting here and looking at a range of options. And I want the spirit to tell me which of these options is the wisest course uh, that I should pursue. Okay? Um, And, you know, that is a useful thing. Yeah. Okay. The problem, of course, is that it assumes that the problem that I have is primarily informational. That I just don't know the right thing to do. And if I have better information, I can make wiser choices. And I'm all in favor of good information. Good inf- I mean, I'm making my living as a data analyst these days, right? Better information can make better decisions. But yes. to me, that's the... That's the the paint on the park bench. The uh, the phrase the problem I have strikes me as very much centered on you. Exactly as a, on self, as opposed to yeah. God's purpose uh, and right. what He's wanting to accomplish in bigger, you know, ripples. Right. Right. But but more than that, we've had this discussion before. What is God's purpose? Yeah. 
And do you remember the answer that we, I think I proposed for that? Um, no, I don't. Romans 8.29. Right, this, oh, okay. is, this is the, this is where I, I keep coming back to this until it sinks in, or you can find a better way of articulating God's purpose, which is that, you know, you know, for God, you know, all things which together for the good of those who love God are called into his purpose, and his purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, right. right. The whole purpose of the creation is to raise up redeemers okay. and people who are like Christ. And so right. God's purpose is to form his character in us in order to manifest his glory in the world. Right. Through redemption. So there's both uh, internal transformation, correction, um, adjustment, and uh, external involvement in right. multiplying cycles or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah. And so the the point is is that right is that it's it is transformation uh, and like information has a place. Yeah. Like I'm arguing that in fact the the challenge is is that uh, you know the the value of information is precisely you know because you can. Uh, discover that you have contradicted yourself uh-huh. or that you have missed things. And then yeah. it, it creates a tension uh, that your spirit then has to grapple with or more often than not completely avoid. That is the default operation of the human psyche. Right. Um, and so in particular, this idea that um, uh, denying self is and to me that's the difference between holiness and guidance is that guidance is useful but it's purely the way i'm defining it is purely informational whereas right. the idea of holiness is transformational it is rewriting the laws of our flesh uh the laws of our mind to conform to the spirit rather than the flesh yeah and that the um, and I, and so I'm actually interested in looking forward to talking to talk with my friend who sent me the book, who is a pastor, I think in the reformed tradition. And he was skeptical about sending me the book. He's like, I don't know how much you're going to get out of it, but since at some point I thought I'd send it to you. But I'm really uh-huh. curious where, uh, you know, how he relates to that. And it's been really helpful for me to work through, like, appreciating the difficulty of the task Calvin faced getting appreciation that a lot of my stereotypes of reform theology were a bit ungenerous, that many uh-huh. people actually do understand a lot of these subtleties and, and limitations, and they are operating within their framework as best they can. Right. But like this to me is the problem that, um, you know, and so this is the, the insight that I've had, because uh, I've been like wrestling with like, what do I do next? And what do I, you know, what does God want me to do? And what is the thing that I feel like God has shown me that is um, informational, right? Mm-hmm. There is a, a truth that, um, that if people understood this, it would allow them to, to more effectively approach Christ. Mm-hmm. And so one is this idea that, like, you know, which I don't think is controversial, but it's not obvious, which is that the purpose of creation is for human beings to become like Jesus. 
Um, and, you know, that includes the whole package, right? I think I told you once one of my pastors got up and said, you know, isn't it wonderful that God loves us the same way he loves Jesus? And I said, excuse me, do you remember what God did to Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Most of it, you know, he, he sent him out of heaven to be scorned, mocked, crucified, killed, rejected, you know. So it's like, you know, if, you know, we, we like, yes, that's true, but like we do not seem to have internalized what that actually looks like. So there's, there's, there's that piece there. That's one thing. The second is like unto it, which is this idea of denying self, right? If the goal is to become like Jesus, the first step is learning to deny ourselves. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that we suck at, that if we could get better at it, could have a massively transformational impact on both, on, on everything, frankly, on our internal state, on our external relationships, on yep. our global impact. Yep. And so that's like the thing that I want to do is to figure out, you know, how to articulate this and create context so that other people can uh, apprehend this truth and, uh, you know, get better at living it out. And I think that is it, I'm back and look at my other notes where I've been talking about this. And I realize, you know, I don't actually even say this that explicitly in a lot of my stuff. And I think that that, I think that I'm starting to think that denying self is sort of the sharp edge of the stick. It's the thing that like, if you gloss over it, which is, you know, you miss the point, but if you run into it, then, you know, you can't get away from it. And so th this is the, th this, this is sort of my thesis that that denying self um, is uh, the the practice or the skill and even the conceptual thing that is um, deeply undervalued in you know our current Christian practice. Right. So that was it. the other interesting idea I came up with, which is perhaps a little bit more. Uh, um, so, and the, those two seem like really safe scriptural statements, right? That like the purpose of the universe is to create people who are like Jesus, and that the way we become like Jesus starts with denying ourselves. Right. I think uh, you know you can argue what that means, but, but it seems like that's a relatively. Um, I mean, it seems like that's a relatively stable theological foundation, biblical foundation to argue from. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, if you think about it afterwards, you say, "Well, wait a second, what about this?" And you know, we can have that discussion. But give me that for now. The third part that I came with, um, I said, two other things. We've talked about this before. One is that one of the best ways to uh, conceptualize this for people is thinking in terms of the fruit of the spirit, uh, the nine fruits listening Galatians. Um, and, you know, there's actually a, an assessment you can take that we did as a church a while ago, where it kind of ranks you on how well you manifest each fruit, each of the nine or the nine aspects, as I would say. And I thought, you know, that would actually be an interesting framing is you have people take this assessment and identify, you know, where they're strong, where they're weak. And then during a DBJ session, you try to focus on, like, what is God saying to you about this? 
Uh-huh. Although it occurred to me, like, you should probably focus both on what was your weakest thing that you're consciously aware of as weak and also your strongest thing, because there's also a decent chance that you're strong in your flesh and not the spirit. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but, you know, the idea of, you know, from a pedagogical perspective, having a metric that you can measure yourself against. So the, the ideal outcome is at the end of it, you're way stronger. You measure way stronger on your weakest point and way weaker on your strongest point, and you realize uh, uh-huh. where you actually uh, are challenged to this. So that's that. The third one is, I think, relatively uh, methodologically intriguing and seems like that's a relatively easy sell. People like taking uh-huh. assessments, and the fruits of the spirit are a trendy thing to do. Uh, I had one other thought I had that I really like, although I think it's more of an uphill sell. Um, I spent a lot of time studying all the different love commands of Jesus. Oh, you talk about obeying Jesus's commands, right? And the way I look at that is more as like, what is the metric I'm supposed to be measuring myself against, of which I will always fall short, but I can get better at. Yeah. Right? And so you know, the, you know, I think the, you know, the, you know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, love your enemies, uh, love one another as I have loved you. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so I spent a lot of time sort of wrestling on that. And, I, and it occurred to me that the, the failure mode that I have uh, come to identify, and it's a bit of a philosophical term, which doesn't necessarily go over well in Christian circles, although it, it's sort of implicit there, which is, it's called loving the other. Uh-huh. And, you know, the idea of the other is the them, like whoever it is, you know, that we don't like, or we don't get along with, like the, the ones that are like us, you know, you know, Jesus talks about loving your friends and hating your enemies. And, uh-huh. but I realized, and going back to the whole Divided Heart book, is that the other is often ourself. It is the part of me that does the things I despise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my friend David Huffman, I love him so much because he does both sides. He will. He has a rebellious part of himself that hates the responsible part that just does what everyone wants and keeps his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And he's a responsible part of him that hates the rebellious part of himself who acts out and and you know speaks out and you know does nasty things. And he sort of lives both halves of that. Most people pick one side. Mm-hmm. and just despise the other. Um, and so loving the other in ourself, of course, loving our enemies, um, as you may have noticed, the Christian world is not really well known for how good we are at loving our enemies these days. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I still dream of a day when I can have you and Emiliana sit down and talk about your deepest hurts and greatest fears and actually hear each other. I don't think we're there yet. Okay, yeah. Um, but then the other part that uh, we're going through the story of Lazarus is that God himself is other, you know, the otherness of God, you know, mm-hmm. you look at the fact that like, wow, you know, it, you know, we know a lot of people stay with the very sort of, you know, childish view of God's niceness and God's love for Jesus is because if you actually stare full, you know, stare in the face of what God put Jesus through, uh-huh. You have to ask yourself, is this really a God I want to follow? Is this uh-huh. really a God I, I want to believe in? And, you know, 
you know, Sam Harris, I'll give him credit for his honesty. He's like, I just can't imagine following a God who would sacrifice his own son. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's an emotional statement, not an intellectual one, but you know, hey, it, it's yeah. honest. Yeah. And, you know, so that idea of God is other. And so the, the formula I have, I call it the diamond rule. There's a few other people who say something similar, but I think it's compatible with that, is that I will love the other as Christ has loved me. Uh-huh. And then I think that to me is the interesting thing, especially when we talk about the fruit of the spirit. Like most of the time with most people, I can be patient and generous and kind and gentle. But, uh-huh. <laughs> right, there are those others who push my buttons and get under my skin and um, trample on things that I think are just intolerable. Mm-hmm. And like, and my flesh rears up and says, no, that's not right. And like, right. at one level, that's true. You know, there are things that are wrong in this world. There are things that need to be opposed, but if we just oppose them in the flesh, we're just perpetuating the world system. Mm-hmm. And that the alternative ah. is to respond as Jesus did. And the key to that, in my experience, um, you know, again, this is a bit on shaky, more shaky biblical ground than all this other stuff, but it's that to the extent I realize how I was other to God, that Jesus rightly felt all these horrible revulsions toward me that I feel towards other people, to the extent I see that and have owned that, then I can have grace for other people. You know, not to tolerate their sin, but to actually comprehend it and understand how to love them out of it. And so it's both a sort of a um, practical statement like, to the extent that I have been loved by Jesus, I will demonstrate that by how I love the other. But also, because I have been loved by Jesus, and at least conceptually, I know how deeply Jesus has loved me, therefore I am committed to loving the other uh, in that same way. And I was thinking that, you know, in terms of like running a DBJ session, it's like, ah, you know, if I could, um, get people to sort of buy in upfront that that's the metric we are using. The whole point of this thing is to learn to identify the other, whether that's within God, ourselves, or other people, and then work with the spirit to be transformed by deeply experiencing the love of God in those areas. Then that feels like, um, the, 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 the sort of the, the uh, I guess, the, like there's this, the, the idea, I guess, in education is you want to start, I guess, sort of like in theology, I suppose, you want to get people to buy off on a certain concept. Uh-huh. And, you know, if they can swallow that, then they engage in the process and then you get to the result. Whereas if they, uh, if you don't, like one of the things, like when I did this course on spiritual entrepreneurship, like they started off talking about, um, you know, being like a, a safe place where you can ask questions and we're not here to, uh, you know, lecture you. We just want to help you discover the truth. But then they had a lecture on market, Marxism and it's like, okay, now just shut up and listen to what we're going to tell you to say. And it's like, wait, you know, they changed the rules halfway through. Uh-huh. 
you know, it's like, you know, and so, you know, I had to work through that and I still got a lot of value out of it. But, you know, this, this is the thing that I have, you know, one of the challenges we have in Christianity is we sometimes start with a, uh, I mean, the, the cliche is Jesus is Savior. And then later we spring on the idea of Jesus is Lord. Uh-huh. And so at least for this class, the idea is that if I can get people to accept it, like the whole point of this, is, is, this is the, the piece that I haven't really figured out how to articulate or bridge or justify, at least to myself, is this, this idea like the whole point is to learn to love the other. Well, it's actually, is that just accepting the fact that we will love the other as Jesus has loved us, that that's right. the metric that demonstrates how much we love. And, you know, it's also a uh, opportunity. It's like, hey, this is not like these people are evil. It's like they just don't know how Jesus loves them. Because I don't know how Jesus loves them, how Jesus loves me. And that's the thing that we're here to grow in. And so the idea is that we can build a practice around that. It feels like it's there. It's something that would be uh, transformational. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about. I need to rejoin my family. But thank you okay. for listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, that's true. I would appreciate, yeah, I, and I'm, if, if you're okay with you, I think this was pretty um, intellectual enough that not that much family detail, if you're okay with me posting it on the website for the podcast. Yeah, no, that's fine. I did find that verse in Galatians 5.15. Oh. So, so, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, um, which is a parallel so, Could you read the verses before and after so I understand the context? Yeah, well, the the rest of the, the next half of the verse is then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So Sorry, what? There's the, next, the rest of that verse is then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Oh, so, uh, yes, okay. So it's the same point. <laughs> I would say it's, there are two verses that explicitly lead to the point that you said that, that you quoted but yeah. um it seems to me that the exaggeration there's only one verse and particularly right. the, the it seemed to me that the second part was a false dichotomy that uh part of what the holy spirit leads us in is holiness but that's not all he leads us in and it seemed to me he's downplaying but, right but, but I, I didn't i never claimed that the only thing the holy spirit did was lead us into holiness yeah, yeah. I'm, right. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I felt like you gave a misimpression or mis- Right. I, 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 I realized that, and I realized it was deliberately phrased that way that one could draw that misinterpretation. Yep. yep. And you fell for it. Yeah. So well, I apologize you, for for being no, I, like that. But. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, part of the way I'm wired, if I want to just blame it on. Uh, something yeah. else is, uh, is what I've heard called first fixating, uh, uh, just fixating on something until I feel like I've exhausted. Um, and I've been, I've been for a while. <laughs> been for, is this arriving home, normal barking? Or? Anyway, Okay, sorry. I gotta take the dogs in. Sorry, we will talk more later. Bye. Yeah, I'll see you.